Amen and amen. That's what applause is, the Presbyterian amen. <laughs> Jesus, thank you for this great good news we celebrate tonight and ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you help us to understand it deeper. Lord, use these words these next few minutes to help us connect with you and the meaning of this night. In your name, Lord, amen. Well, I want to welcome those of you who are in the lobby, those of you in the community center, those of you watching online all around the country and the world even. It's great to have all of you with us. You know, one of the things that makes a movie really good is a plot twist that leaves you saying, you know what, I didn't see that coming. Like at the end of The Sixth Sense where Bruce Willis realizes he's been dead but he hasn't known it for the whole movie. Or in Citizen Kane where the, the Rosebud is the name of his sled. Or Luke, I am your father. And if you've not seen any of those movies, I just wrecked all of them for you, so <laughs> Merry Christmas. Plot twists make uh, movies more interesting. They also make our lives more interesting. And Christmas shows that God loves a plot twist. And when he enters our lives, he takes them in unexpected directions that give us more adventure, meaning, purpose, hope, and joy. Now for us, the story of Christmas is so familiar that we actually miss the plot twists that are in it. Because our idea of Christmas is more like this. You know, everything's perfect, everyone's blonde, just like Middle Eastern people always are. <laughs> and, and look at Mary, man. I mean, every woman knows if you give birth in a stable without an epidural, you do not look like that. <laughs> and it would not have been a silent night. <laughs> but the real Christmas was full of surprises. Sort of like a story I heard about two teenagers after a date standing at the girl's front door and the boy said, how about a kiss? And she said, no, nah, my parents wouldn't like that. And so he said, oh, come on. And she said, no. And he said, please. And this went on for a while. Finally, the girl's sister opened the door and said, dad says to hurry up and kiss him. Or I can kiss him. Or dad will come kiss him. <laughs> Whatever you do, though, take your hand off the intercom button. <laughs> Surprise. Christmas stories filled with surprises. Like when the angels say, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Good news? That's a plot twist. Because our idea of religion is that it's bad news where we're told that we better shape up or God's going to get us. But that's not good news, that's religion. And Jesus hates religion. So if your idea of Jesus doesn't sound like good news to you, that's because someone has misrepresented to you who Jesus really is. The other plot twist is who this good news is for. It doesn't say for good people. It says for all people. That's a plot twist, especially given the characters in this story. Shepherds were considered the dregs of society. Mary, who's engaged to Joseph, but they haven't slept together, miraculously conceives, so she would have been considered an adulteress. Penalty for that in that culture was death. She would have been about 14. That was the age of betrothal, so she's an unwed teenage mom. During his life, Jesus was referred to as the son of Mary, which in that culture was an insult. People were called by their father's name. So to call him a son of Mary was to question his paternity and her virtue. See, Jesus grew up in a family marked by scandal. And maybe that's why he had such compassion for prostitutes and white-collar criminals and the folks people judge. But, you know, he doesn't just come for the down-and-outers. He comes for the up-and-inners as well, like the wise men, who were part of a well-educated cultural elite but after they see Jesus, it says they return to their country by another route. Now, metaphorically, what that means is once Jesus, once they contact Jesus, once they encounter him, the story of their lives takes an unexpected twist that leads to a brand new adventure. My dad is 79, and 
several years ago felt God kind of nudge him to lead a Bible study in a local jail, and he loves it because it's such an adventure. And over Thanksgiving, he, he told me about one of the prisoners who was in a gunfight, and this guy's chest is just covered with scars, and the prisoner said, I thought I was too bad for Jesus. But then I started reading the Bible and realized nobody's too bad for Jesus. And he's become kind of a leader in the jail and rounded up over 30 prisoners to go to my dad's Bible study. But then they all got transferred, so my dad said to this guy, well, you got to go get us some more. So he went and rounded up a whole bunch more. When I'm at home, my dad never goes on and on about things like his golf game, thank heavens. He goes on and on about what God's doing in the jail. At 79, he's full of excitement because Jesus gave him a plot twist that led to an adventure. Jesus even comes for folks who aren't interested in God at all. Like the shepherds. You know what? They weren't thinking religious thoughts. They are just trying to make a living. Some of you, maybe you're not interested in God at all. Let's just be honest. The only reason you're here tonight is someone dragged you here, huh? Uh, I know. Last service, someone in the choir laughed at that. <laughs> I know you're out there. Well, this, this may sound like bad news to you, but it's actually good news. Jesus wants to know you too. For in that region, there were stockbrokers watching their stocks by night. <laughs> Lawyers filing their briefings by night. Jesus comes to them too. You even see a plot twist in how this story starts with the A-list celebrities of the day. You know, it says Caesar Augustus took a census and that this took place while Quirinius was governor. This shows how historical this is. You know, it's not written like a legend. It doesn't start once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away. It says, remember that year Caesar took his census? It's historical. But it also shows the plot reversal of this story. Man, Caesar, he was top of the heap. Quirinius, he was governor at the time, and you'd want to hang out with him. He's the governor. Now the only reason to remember him is because he's a footnote in the story of a Jewish peasant born to an unwed, unwed teenage mom. That's a plot twist. So here's a prayer I dare you to pray. Even if you're not interested in God, what do you have to lose? Jesus, invade my life. And see what he does, because he is the God of the unexpected. In fact, the biggest plot twist in this whole deal is God himself. Because in every other religion, God stays up in heaven where it's safe, away from the suffering of this world, but not the God revealed in Jesus. Uh-uh-uh. The one being in the universe who does not have to suffer comes himself in the person of Jesus, born into poverty, spends his whole life at backbreaking labor, dies on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins, is raised three days later. No other God in any other religion has this much courage. No other God has this much fierce love. What child is this is not the right question. What God is this? And there is no other God like this. There is no other God like this. And he comes not to lord it over us, and he comes not to punish us. He comes not to say, I told you so. He comes to be in a relationship with us and to make our lives an exciting story. That's why the angels say, fear not to the shepherds, which, you know, a bunch of angels show up, you'd sort of be afraid. It says they were terrified. But they say, fear not, even though this is God coming, in, you know, coming himself. That's, that could be something to fear, but they say, no, it's something to have joy over. I came across a video clip that kind of gets at this. It's of a mother blowing her nose, and her baby doesn't quite know what to make of it. Take a look. <laughs> That's Christmas. Let me tell you why. 
Jesus is the God who ignited every sun in the universe. That's a lot of power, and that could be scary. But he comes in human form so that we can understand him. That's a lot of joy. And so that he can rewrite the storyline of our lives in surprising ways. There's a 33-year-old man in our church. I'll call him John. And his parents got divorced when he was a kid, and he lived with his mom. Had a terrible relationship with his dad, who was very successful in his career, but also very demanding. He'd tell John to get good grades and do well in sports, but that was the extent of their relationship. All of which got a whole lot worse when John's dad was put in prison for committing murder. But when John told me all this, he said, you know what, that was a long time ago, though, and I'm over it. I don't have any dad issues. And I'm thinking, oh, I think you got some dad issues. Well, John started coming to our men's fraternity group, which is a national program churches do to help men be better friends, husbands, fathers, all of that. And there's a section that deals with how men get hurt by, have been hurt by their dads. And as we went through that, John realized he did have dad issues. He was angry. In fact, the last contact he'd had was eight years earlier when he'd sent his dad two angry letters listing all the things he hated about him and saying, I never want anything to do with you again. But John and his wife had just had their first child, and that along with men's fraternity got him thinking. So a few days later, he said to me, I think I need to write to my dad. And I said, well, why don't you go visit him? And until that moment, it never occurred to him that he would ever see his dad again. So last Christmas, he wrote to his dad, and he said, I'm doing this thing called men's fraternity that's got me thinking, and I'd like to come and see you. And his dad wrote back and said, I'd love to see you too. And by the way, I've been doing men's fraternity here in prison with some of the guys. What are the chances? That's clearly God at work. So John visited his dad in jail. And there'd never really been a lot of heart connection between them. But in that conversation, he got to hear how his dad had spent the last eight years reflecting on what he'd done. His dad said, I spent my whole life defining myself by my accomplishments. But now everything that's said about me is terrible. So I turned to the Bible where I'm beginning to hear what God says about me. And his dad was able to own and apologize for all, all the hurt that he'd caused. John also got to hear about how his dad was raised and, and the ways that his grandfather had hurt his dad, which helped John understand his father and begin the process of forgiveness. John also mentioned the letters he sent eight years earlier. And his dad said, yeah, I was going to reread those letters before you came, but I couldn't. They just hurt too much. John was able to ask forgiveness for what he'd said in those letters. And then we'd said in Men's Fraternity that it's important to ask for your father's blessing. And John thought, I'm 33. I don't need to do this anymore. I'm not a kid. But it's on this list of things that i got to do, so I guess I have to. So he asked. And his dad, fully meaning it, said, John, I love you so much, and I am so proud of the man that you've become. At which point, John started to cry. He said, even at 33, I still needed to hear it. Life-changing conversation for both of them. In fact, John's dad later told him that afterwards he went back to his cell, pulled out those two letters that he kept all those years and destroyed them because it was a brand new day between he and his son. And John says that this deep wound that I've carried is finally beginning to heal. And even if my dad had not responded so well, you know what, it would have helped just to have done it for me. And he says he's way less angry than his dad, less angry in general, actually. And he says it's helped his relationship with God, so before I always saw God like my dad and there's these standards I had to live up to, but now I realize my heavenly father just wants to know me. It's not about standards at all. And I get to have a relationship with my dad, which is huge. Because even if your dad's in jail, you still need to hear him say, I love you and I'm proud of you. Now that's a plot twist, isn't it? That's not how that story's supposed to go, is it? 
The way you expect that story to go is that John is estranged from his dad for the rest of his life, and his dad feels his son's scalding hatred till the day he dies. But Jesus stepped in, took the story in a different direction, brought healing and freedom from that anger that could have just eaten John alive. And John said, now obviously things aren't perfect, but I can see Jesus working. Even in this, I can see Jesus working. And if Jesus can transform something as dark as that, well then, oh my goodness, what can he do in your life? What can he do in mine? The word gospel literally means a good story. And God loves a good story. That's why he made you and me, because he likes a good story. And Christmas started a good story full of all kinds of surprises. And when Jesus enters our lives, he gives us a good story. And even if we got a pretty good story going on right now, and a lot of us do, Jesus can make that story even bigger. Because here's the thing. If you want a bigger life, you got to live a bigger story. And that's what Jesus gives us. So let him in. Follow him. Do what he says to do. Because when we let him in, he makes our lives a big story filled with plot twists, adventures, and all kind of joy. He will give you the best surprise you could ever ask for this Christmas. So Jesus, thank you that that's what you do. Thank you for your fierce love that drove you from heaven all the way to earth just to be with us. And Lord, for those of us who've known you a long time and those that don't know you at all, Lord, help us let you into our lives and follow you so that we have that big story you came to give us. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.